Are any of you fans of the TV program Extreme Makeover? Anybody watch that show? Two of us, three of us. Some of you were unwilling to ever raise your hand. How many of you love Jesus? Oh, there we go. That's better. I like that. So there's this TV program, for those of you who are still in the dark, that's called Extreme Makeover. And the only reason I know anything about this is because of one of my friends is a project manager that goes in and gives direction to the workers that are doing those makeovers. And uh, right now, Scott is taking the home that he purchased next door to his own home and is doing a kind of an extreme makeover there. And the basic process is you start with a house that's oftentimes kind of run down and need a repair. And even if it isn't, Extreme Makeover Crew comes in, and what do they do to that place? Total transformation. Someone said, got it, exactly. Total transformation. It's amazing what takes place. From something that just was kind of not quite rubble yet, but they've done something fantastic and amazing. We love to hear stories like that of transformation. It's a great advertising employee, too. Have you ever noticed the weight commercials that advertise weight loss, and you have the picture of the person before and the picture of the person after? Or us guys, Dave especially appreciates this, the, the ones with the hair treatments, you know, and the guy goes in with no hair and he comes out with his full head of hair. Uh, before and after. Amazing transformation. And as we've been making our way through Mark's gospel, one of the things that you've been observing, whether you realize it or not, is people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. And I think of the stories that we've looked at, that we've, we've seen a leper that Jesus healed. Talk about transformation. We, we've seen Jesus cast a demon out of the guy in the synagogue. We've seen a man with a withered hand Restored. We've seen that paralytic get dropped down through the roof by his four friends and Jesus healed him and he walked out. We've seen these stories and even the story of, of Levi, the tax collector that came to faith and followed Jesus. We've been watching stories of transformation. And this morning I want you to come again with me in Mark chapter 5 because we're going to look at what I believe is one of the most amazing stories of transformation. What we find in the scriptures, what we find in the life of Jesus is the amazing truth that Jesus has power, <laughs> amazing power to transform lives. And so in, in Mark chapter 5, at, before you open to Mark chapter 5, it's good to kind of look across the page in chapter 4. If you were here last Sunday, we saw the disciples in what I call the examination at sea. Anyone remember this? I always assume you don't. But if you remember last week, Jesus puts the disciples in the, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He's asleep in the stern of the boat. And this violent storm breaks out. A mega storm, right? Remember the word mega? Mega storm. And so they meet this violent storm. And Jesus says, hush, be still. So we get mega quiet. And so Jesus now brings them off the Sea of Galilee out of this violent storm. And they come ashore, if you're looking at the map of Israel, the Sea of Galilee up here, now they're on the, the eastern shore in what's called Decapolis, ten Greek cities, Deca, ten cities. And so Jesus and his disciples are getting out of their boat, and that's 
where Mark chapter 5 opens up. They just left this violent storm. And the conclusion of that whole experience is the disciples are looking at Jesus and the calm sea. And they say to themselves, what? Who is this guy? Who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him. And the shackles broken to pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and back down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described it to them, how, he had, how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go, go home to your people, report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. That's got to be the understatement of the day, right? Everyone was amazed. Wow. There's several things in this passage that have kind of captured my attention as I've reflected on this and thought about it. But I want you to see kind of the before and after experience in this man's life. Similar to extreme makeover. This is the, this is the ultimate of extreme makeovers. Because Jesus has power to radically transform life. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. And he's been doing it through the last 2,000 years and he's still doing it today, right? He's still doing it today. And even here in this room, we could hear stories if we took time of people who would say, Jesus radically transformed my life. And so I want you to notice, first of all, the before part of this story. Before meeting Jesus... This guy is in a desperate situation. And as you look at this passage, and you get a glimpse of this this man who's demon-possessed, 
He's unclothed. He's running around screaming at the top of his voice. He's cutting himself with stones. People have tried to restrain him. The word in my translation says they tried to subdue him. Your translation might say tame. It's a word that would be used as someone trying to tame a wild animal. To subdue him. And so the society in which this man lived, they basically tried to do what with him? Restrain him. Hold him down. And so he's running wild, naked, screaming. If this guy was in your neighborhood, how would you react? Yeah, would you try to restrain him? No. You know, you'd be calling the cops or the mental health people or something. This man is in a desperate situation. And I don't know what word you would use as you read this text and you listen to this description of this man. I don't know what words you would use to describe his condition. But I think of words like distress. I think of words like doomed. This man is doomed, apart from any other help in his life, to continue living this way for his entire life. Hopeless. You know, we just sang about the hope. The hope that's found in Jesus. What a good timing, perfect song. Here's a man totally without hope. If you pull the curtain back just a little bit on this story, here's a man possessed by a legion of demons. One of the translations has the demons saying his name is Lots, because there's a lot of us. One of the other translations, the message uses the word mob, because we are a mob. And when you see the behavior of this man, you kind of understand the word mob, don't you? This guy, desperate, hopeless situation. And when you pull back the curtain, the reminder is that we do have an enemy, don't we? And his mission, Jesus summarized his mission when Jesus said he has come to do what? Kill, rob, destroy. And here's an example of someone who has been destroyed. He's destroyed physically. He's destroyed mentally, emotionally, and most importantly, he's destroyed spiritually. Yeah. We have an enemy. And this guy in this desperate situation is without hope. You know anybody in your circle of life, your circle of influence, family, friends, co-workers that are without hope. This guy is totally without hope. And yet we see now the second little snapshot is Jesus comes there, Jesus steps out of the boat, Jesus brings his disciples with him, and how does this man respond? He runs to Jesus. And the text says he bowed down. Whether you think of that as worship or respect, I'm not sure what's going on. But at least he's at least in this respectful position. And isn't it fascinating that these, these demons have a spokesperson. 
And the spokesperson says what to Jesus? First he says, what business do we have with each other? We've got, you know, we've got no common ground. What business do we have with each other? Don't torment me, he says. And then he said, how, how does he describe Jesus? What, what's he saying? Jesus, what's he saying? Son of the Most High God. So, here's an interesting contrast that I find kind of humorous. Just a few verses earlier, we've been in the boat with Jesus and the disciples, and they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, Who is this guy? Now, we're here with this legion of demons. Do, are they puzzled about Jesus at all? <laughs> they nailed it. You're the son of the Most High God. So the disciples who've been living with Jesus for a year and a half are going, Who is this guy? And the demons are going, We know who you are. You're Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. I find that kind of funny. James says the demons believe, but they tremble. And so here's this guy. Jesus shows up on the scene. And this demon or demons, through through their spokesman, their basic agenda is, Jesus, leave us alone. But as you read this paragraph about Jesus meeting this man, who's in control? Who's in charge? Not the demon. There may be more than 2,000 demons if it took 2,000 pigs down the hill. By the way, the word legion, a legion of Roman soldiers was not always the same number, but typically it maxed out at about 6,000. So a legion of Roman soldiers could be multiple thousands, maxing at about six. And as you read this story, it looks like, well, there's at least 2,000 if 2,000 pigs went down the hill, right? So here's this guy in conversation with Jesus. And Jesus is totally in control. The demon is asking Jesus, don't torment us. The demon is saying, don't send us out of here. The demon is saying, send us into this herd of pigs. By the way, I think there's kind of a sub-theme going on here because we have a man possessed of unclean spirits dwelling in the tombs which are unclean in the Jewish thinking so they would avoid the place totally. And now the demons are being sent into a herd of pigs which are unclean animals. And so you get kind of this theme that runs through here, kind of under the radar maybe a little bit, of this total uncleanliness in the life of this demon-possessed man. And Jesus is in total control. <laughs> I read this story and I think if, if, if this was a boxing match between Jesus and all these demons, the demons would be flat on their back on the mat, out cold, Eight count. Jesus is in total charge. Jesus is in total control. I don't know if that encourages you this morning, but it encourages me a lot. The crazy world in which you and I live, the crazy stuff, just the stuff of daily life, 
Do you ever kind of lose sight of the fact that Jesus is in charge? Jesus is in control. He rules. He reigns. Do you ever kind of lose sight of that? I do. You get kind of overwhelmed by the stuff of life. And I read this story and it's just like a big slap up the side of the head. Who's always in control? Who's always in charge? Jesus. The same Jesus that the disciples said, Who is this guy? The sovereign ruler of the universe. He's always in control. So we go from this man's desperate situation to his dialogue with the Savior Jesus. And now after this encounter with Jesus, dramatic, dramatic salvation. Jesus takes those demons and they go into the pigs, down the slope and into the lake. Can you picture this in your mind? Are you able to close your eyes and picture these pigs, 2,000 of them, running down this bank into the side of the Sea of Galilee and all being drowned? What would that scene look like? All, all the pigs would drown and they would sink to the bottom of the lake, right? Right? Wrong. What would happen? So, a picture of the Sea of Galilee. 2,000 dead pigs floating. That's a staggering thought. And so the text says, the herdsmen, the hired guys who are watching these pigs, they take off. Why are they taking off? they gotta, they got to cover themselves. they got to tell the owners what just happened. It's not my fault. It's that guy's fault. And so now we have all these people coming out from the city and the area around. And they come up on the scene and there's all these, all these dead pigs. But there's something else they observe. What is it? The guy, the demon-possessed, the formerly demon-possessed man is there. And what would they notice and observe about this guy? Sitting? How, have they ever seen him sit down? Didn't sound like it. He's clothed. What have they observed all the time? This naked dude running loose. He's sitting, he's clothed, and in his right mind. Radical transformation. Radical. Radical transformation. That's what Jesus is all about, isn't it? Jesus is all about radically transforming people's lives. And I just try to get this picture in my mind. And, And Mark makes it very clear. In my text it has the phrase, the very man. There was no question that this guy who was sitting clothed and in his right mind was the same guy who just a few minutes earlier or a short time earlier had been running loose naked, yelling and screaming and cutting himself. The very same man. I suspect people would would have tried to say, this can't be him, right? This can't be him. Have you ever had the experience of seeing someone who's come to faith in Jesus, radically transformed, and the difference is so stark, you find yourself kind of scratching your head, can this really be the same guy? Jesus does that. He's still doing it today. 
radically transforming people's lives. I just love this story. It's one of my favorites. Before, I had this little thing in your notes that I had in mind. Little thing I did with a kind of a T-bar thing. Before, he's naked, living in the cemetery, running around screaming, cutting himself. People are scared of him. Afterward, he's clothed, sitting, right mind. And now the people are frightened. And what? how do the people respond? They want Jesus to leave. Now that's different. Every other place Jesus has gone, when word gets out that Jesus is there, what happens? People come from all over. People come from all over. And when they hear that Jesus has healed this guy, Jesus has cast out this demon, Jesus has healed a leper, a paralytic, whatever it is, people are coming by the boxcar loads, right? And here, their response to what Jesus has done is what? Get out of town. That's an amazing response in my mind. But then when I take a deep breath and think about it, you know the same thing is true today. For many people, in spite of what they observe and see in the life of someone who's been totally transformed by Jesus, they want to distance themselves. They don't want to acknowledge what has taken place. That's still true today. Still true today. There's nothing more thrilling than to see Jesus' power to radically transform a life. And it's interesting, one of the major changes in the man's life who Jesus cast the demons out. One of the major changes is when Jesus first got there, he wanted to distance himself from Jesus. What business do we have with each other? What do we have in common? We got nothing to do with each other. After this experience where Jesus casts these demons out of him, what is the one desire in the heart of this guy? Be with Jesus. He said he, he wants to get in the boat with Jesus and the disciples and be with Jesus. There's a radical change. Because I want, I want to be with you. And isn't it fascinating that Jesus said what? No. I want you to go back to your people, your family, your friends, and tell them what God's done for you. I found myself reading this and thinking... You know, what, what if this was like my brother, my cousin, one of my family members? And I know the history of my brother, my cousin. I know what he's doing. He's running around like a crazy man, yelling, screaming, cutting himself. And there's a knock on my door, and my open, I open my door, and he's... You know, how would you respond if that happened to you? Radical transformation. Jesus says, go, go tell your family, go tell your friends. All the, what was it, Maggie, we sang earlier? All the good things that God's done for you. You know, it's amazing. Those two songs fit in really well with this whole theme. Radical transformation. It's amazing what Jesus can do in the life of someone. And so I asked myself the question, so what? Three big ideas that impressed me as I reflect on this story. The first one is this. No one 
is beyond Jesus' reach. Do you see that in this story? Here's this guy, desperate situation, hopeless situation, <coughs> radically transformed by Jesus. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus. You got anybody you're praying for that sometimes you just think they're never going to respond, they're never going to turn to Jesus, they're never going to come to faith. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus. I'm sure glad for that, aren't you? No one is beyond the reach of Jesus. I remember many years ago now, back in ooh, the late 70s, my friend Don Byers left our church in Long Beach to go pastor our church in Orange. And I remember him telling me the story. He'd only been there, I think, a few months as pastor. And he was meeting regularly with a group of guys. And they were studying the Bible and praying together. And they came up with this idea that they were going to make a top ten list. The top ten guys that they were going to be praying for that would come to Jesus. The top ten guys that they were going to consistently and faithfully pray. And one of the guys had the idea, well, let's rank them in order. Number one is the guy least likely to ever come to Jesus. He's number one. And we're going to rank him in order. And so, so they kind of worked through this and they came up with their top ten list. with the, the, you know, the worst case, you know, the guy possessed with 2,000 demons. They, they had the worst guy at the top of the list, number one. And, and they started praying for their top ten list. And, and they did this every week when they gathered together. and uh, Individually at home, they were supposed to be praying for their top ten list. You'll never guess who the first guy on the list was that came to faith. Number one. I just remember Don telling me that story and just laughing. You know, that is so much like our God, isn't it? It is so much like our God. We rank guys, yeah. I think of some of the, the people that have been in my life that I've prayed for for a number of years. My friend Bill, I've probably known Bill 25 years. And he believes he's a believer. And I'm not convinced. Everybody like that in your life, they think they're a believer, they think they're on the right track, but you just it's just not it's just not connecting for you. And every time I think of Bill and pray for him, I just think, Lord, help him, help him to kind of see this religious stuff in his life isn't, isn't what it's about. It's all about Jesus. He thinks he's on the inside. He thinks he's on his way to heaven. And I hope he's right. I hope I'm wrong. But I, I pray. I pray. You know, if you were spending a few minutes with my wife, she would tell you about her brother. We've been praying for her brother Clint for over 50 years. And there's people in your life, we can all tell stories like this, people that need to know Jesus. And what I see in this story is there's no one beyond the reach of Jesus. So take hope in that. Don't give up. Keep praying. The second thing that impresses me in this story is Jesus is the transformer. Jesus is the difference maker. My job is to do what? Get people to Jesus. Get people to Jesus. You know, I'm not the transformer. I'm not the life changer. I'm not the difference maker. But I know who is. I know who is. Jesus is the difference maker. 
<laughs> and I look at this story of this demon-possessed man, tormented beyond my capacity to understand. Totally, radically transformed by Jesus. Doesn't the scripture suggest somewhere that there's a change that takes place when someone comes to faith? Isn't there a verse somewhere that says something like, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation, old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. That's what Jesus does in the lives of people. Radical transformation. Some of our stories are a little more radical than others. You know, my story of coming to Jesus as a six-year-old in a good news club is a little different from others who came to faith as teenagers and others who came to faith as adults. Change is a little more radical then. But regardless, the change that Jesus makes in a life is always strategic. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And as I think of this, one of the thoughts that occurs to me is the story of this demon-possessed man and his journey to faith parallels exactly each of our stories. Because for each one of us, there's a before time in our lives before we knew Jesus. There's that time in our life when we encountered Jesus. And that, whether you can point to a moment in time uh, and say, that's when I trusted Christ. Or whether there was a period of time where you, your journey just kind of accelerated to a point where you recognized your need of Jesus in your life. So we all have a before story. We all have an encounter with Jesus story. And we all have an after story. And so when Jesus sent this guy home to talk to his family... Which of those three parts of his story did he tell? All of them, thank you. you got to tell the whole story. This is what it was like before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is what it's been like ever since. That's a simple outline for how to have a conversation with someone that needs to know Jesus. This is my experience. This is what I found in my life. This is what my life was like before I met Jesus. This is how I encountered Jesus. And this is what I've experienced since. That's not a bad outline to kind of follow. As you have opportunity to share with people about Jesus. No one is beyond Jesus' reach. Jesus is the transformer, the difference maker. And then my third big idea. When Jesus changes a life, people notice. You know, I just think these poor people show up on the scene and here's all these dead pigs floating in the Sea of Galilee but they see the change in this guy's life sitting, clothed, in his right mind when Jesus changes a person's life people notice people notice and Jesus is still at work in your life. He's still at work in my life, changing me, making me more like Jesus. Hopefully that's a daily, weekly, and monthly experience for each one of us, right? We're a little bit more like Jesus today than we were before. When Jesus changes a life, 
people notice. And so I respond and I say, praise God, Jesus is in the life-changing business. He's in the transforming business. Praise, praise, praise God. And I think of those on my prayer list, those on your prayer list. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep asking God for opportunity to share your life, your testimony, your story, the gospel. Because Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. That's what Jesus is up to. That's what Jesus wants to do. And the part that I play is simply trying to get people a little closer to Jesus. If Jesus had never stepped ashore on that eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee and encountered this man, what would the rest of his life have been like? <coughs> that same desperate, doomed, hopeless situation for all of his life. When people's lives are changed, others take notice. Back in the late 1950s, in my pre-junior high years, there was a local uh, radio host on Los Angeles radio, Russ Stewart Hamlin. And he had an afternoon radio program with music and his commentary. And he was very popular, very famous, very well known as a comedian, uh, musician, songwriter. And uh, he was also very famous for partying. He was a big party guy, heavy drinker. Uh, his reputation as a womanizer, chasing after women, was, was just a huge part of his persona and who he was. In fact, he, he wrote a, one of the earliest songs he wrote was entitled, I Can't Go Hunting With You, Jake, Because I'm Chasing Women. Interesting. Well, at the same time, in the late 1950s, a young preacher set up a tent and was holding revival meetings in Los Angeles. And Russ Stewart Hamlin thought this would be a great part of his radio program because he could get this preacher on his radio station, kind of make fun of him and laugh and mock. And so that, that became a kind of a pursuit for his to get this young preacher on his radio station. And he decided he was going to go gather more material for this experience. So he went and attended the tent crusade one night. And uh, as he was attending that crusade, the, the preacher in his comments said, There's someone here tonight who's a big fake. And for some reason, Ross Stewart Hamlin felt like he was talking directly to him. You ever had that experience in church? You know, why is he talking to me? What's he know that? Now that, that's how, and so this kind of haunted him for several days. It just really bothered him. And so, about 2 o'clock in the morning... He's drunk, knocking on the host hotel door of this young preacher. I need to talk to you. I need you to pray for me. Come out here and pray for me. The preacher opened the door and says, I am not going to pray for you. What you're experiencing is between you and God, and I don't want to get in the middle of it. So I thought it was a great line. In spite of that, this drunken radio host was invited into the hotel room, and from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the morning, he and the young preacher talked. At the end of those three hours, Russ Stewart Hamlin was on his knees, repenting of sin, 
putting his faith in Jesus. And things radically changed. No more drinking. No more chasing women. His life totally and radically changed. And so did his radio program, much to the dismay of the radio station owners. He refused to allow a beer company to be the sponsor of his radio program. That's the final straw that led to his being fired by the radio station. (coughs) And so, walking the streets, hunting for a job, unable to find work anywhere, he he encounters one of his friends in the streets of Hollywood. And he and John are engaged in conversation. And John says, well, you know, all your troubles started... When you've got religion. Have you ever thought about going back? No. Well, has it been worth it? Absolutely. You've given up your life of, of drinking and women and I don't, I don't get it. How, I don't get it. And Hamlin said, well, it's, it's no big secret. Nothing's impossible with God. To which his friend John said, you know, that's a catchy line. You should write a song. And so Stuart Hamlin wrote one of my favorite songs. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Inspiration comes from many places. Uh, Stuart Hamlin's friend John, John Wayne, was the stimulus to the writing of that song. The young preacher holding tent meetings, Billy Graham, was used of God in a very strategic way in Stuart Hamlin's life. You see, there's no greater thrill than seeing Jesus' power to transform life. And many of us here in this room, if we had confidence and courage this morning, could stand up and tell our own transformation story. And there's people out there that need to have their lives transformed by the power of Jesus. That needs to happen. As I've been praying about our church where we're headed, where we're going, where we've been. One of the things that has been on my heart is, because I've talked about maybe creating some event here, let's do this there. I think it's of the Lord that He impressed on my heart a week or so ago. You know, the city's got activities they're already planning. The city's got things they're organizing. All we need to do is go participate. We don't have to spend money advertising. We don't have to spend money on materials and supplies and stuff. We just go along with whatever the city's up to. And so I went online last week to the the city website. And the city is hosting a major cleanup day on Saturday, the 28th of August. And they're going to supply the tools, the equipment, whatever's needed. They just need people to come and volunteer. And so you'll find in your bulletin, if you read it this morning, there's a little paragraph about this cleanup day on the 28th. And if you have interest in doing that, 
Um, I'd love to have you come and join me. I think a few others are already planning to be a part of that. But as we think about God wanting to transform the lives of people, I believe He wants to transform the city in which He's planted us. And I believe that God can use you and me, us together, to advance His cause in the city of Norwalk. I, I just want to, I want to encourage you to believe that with me and uh, come with me, and uh, we're going to get our hands dirty for Jesus. And maybe Jesus will put us alongside of somebody who needs to hear that there's hope. Maybe Jesus will allow us to work side by side with someone that we never would have met in any other context. But we meet, we exchange names, we have conversation and opportunity to tell our story. Before I met Jesus, I met Jesus, now what? So I'm going to continue looking for those kind of opportunities in our city. Where can we come alongside what the city's doing? And where can we leverage that for the kingdom? That's how I'm praying. That's how I'm thinking. I just want to encourage you to to pray along and to come along. Lord, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the story that we've read, this account in the life of Jesus, this desperate, desperate situation in the life of this demon-possessed man. It is beyond my comprehension that someone could be possessed of dozens, hundreds, thousands of demons. But I'm grateful for the reminder this morning of the power of Jesus. Nothing is impossible for Him. No one is beyond His reach. No one. And so Lord, encourage us this morning, strengthen us in our resolve to pray and to speak. That we might be a part of Your plan. Your plan of transformation in the lives of others. Do that through us as a church family together. Do that through us individually as we seek to be those who simply tell our story of what you've done. Just as Jesus sent this man back to family and friends, back to his hometown, to tell him the things you have done. Would you make that part of of our sense of mission? Our sense of mission today and tomorrow and the days ahead. We give you thanks for doing that as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
there's nothing more thrilling than to see Jesus' power transform someone's life. If you want to read ahead in Mark chapter 5, we're going to look next week at the two more people whose lives were radically transformed by Jesus. Just amazing stories. I love to read them. I love to talk about them. So we're going to talk about them next Sunday. But between now and then, we're going to have a congregational business meeting right afterwards. Are we in the first room here, Dave? All the way over in your classroom? Okay, that so we're, we'll gather there in about uh, 10 or 15 minutes and uh, take a look at some business. Um, got some good stuff to share with you. Hope you'll come along and be a part of that. Until then, have a great week. And uh, ask the Lord to give you someone this week to tell your story to. Before, encounter, and after. He, might, he just might answer that prayer. Have a great week.